here and uh, be praying for those that are sick. We've got several still among us that are sick, and it's, uh, this time of year, that's just the kind of uh, par for the court. Whoa, got really loud all of a sudden. And uh, so remember, uh, next uh, Sunday is starts daylight savings time. So we, my least favorite week of the or day of the is because we lose an hour of sleep. Not a, I like the falling back because you get an extra hour, but uh, we, we make up for it in the spring when we lose an hour. So uh, remember that, and of course most of us, most of our clocks and devices change automatically now, but uh, if you have some old-fashioned ones, remember to uh, check, and we don't want you to miss church and Sunday school next week. So uh, remember our uh, supplies uh, for um, uh, our spring outreach. Um, items are in the bulletin, and there's a big box in the education building. You can put your things in um, this month, so we'll be collecting all that up this month. And let me encourage you, uh, if you have prayer requests, share that with us, and there's email in the uh, bulletin where um, you can send those prayer requests, and we'll share those on Wednesday night. Uh, and pray over those things. So please uh, take a minute to remember that. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 4 is where we find ourselves this morning. There are a lot of uh, majestic uh, places uh, around uh, the world. Where you just kind of are awed at uh, the wonder and the beauty uh, of God's creation, and uh, you know, some folks uh, find that place to be the beach, some uh, the mountains. Um, and when you go, up, Leslie and I, like our favorite vacation spot is the Smoky Mountains, and when you're up there and you're uh, looking at the, it's you just have to be in awe of the beauty of God's uh, creation. Uh, and yet, anything that we see on this earth pales in comparison to God's throne. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning in Revelation chapter 4. Uh, remember, John uh, has been exiled on the island of Patmos, and the Holy Spirit comes, and God gives him a vision uh, of the end times and we wrapped up last week talking about the seven churches uh, of Revelation, and those seven churches are representative of the Christian church as a whole. Uh, and we find probably all of us parts of our life in those seven churches at various times, and every church finds itself in those seven churches at various times. Uh, and we, we heard that message, and now... Uh, we are transported from the churches and God's message to the church to heaven and the throne room of the Almighty. And so that's where we pick up in uh, Revelation 4 this morning. Verse 1 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat on the throne was like jasper and sardius stone in appearance. 
And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature uh, was like a calf, and the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by you will they exist and were created. And so John begins this next part of uh, Revelation with a reminder to us about the majesty and the wonder of God and ultimately is assuring us of God's victory. Remember, uh, John wrote this letter when uh, the church was being greatly persecuted and the world was not friendly to the church. And John writes this, is given this message uh, by the Lord to encourage the church to be faithful and to remind them that they ultimately will win the victory. And we find lots of very, very odd pictures throughout Revelation, but here in chapter 4 is, is no exception to that. And when we read them, they say, my goodness, that's really weird. Uh, and to a certain extent they are, but when we think about it, and I hope by the end of the, the message this morning we'll see that maybe they're not so weird after all, because they hearken us back to the Old Testament. And remember, I've mentioned, I think, one or two times that part of the problem we have with Revelation and understanding it is we don't know the Old Testament. And because we don't know the Old Testament, we don't understand Revelation. Because Revelation uh, takes a lot of stuff and a lot of images and a lot of prophecies from the Old Testament and shows how Christ fulfills them. Uh, and so we'll, I hope we'll see that as we go through. We have to keep that in mind. Um, and what a great reminder it is that, that God has been working from the beginning of, of human history through the period when God's ultimately going to have final victory. But God is working, and, and God does eventually defeat Satan, and evil is destroyed, and this world is recreated, a new heaven and a new earth comes. But it sure takes a long time. And boy, if we, you know, we get antsy and upset when we have to wait in the drive-thru for four minutes uh, to get our food. And so when the Lord takes 
not just years, but centuries and millennia to accomplish his will, my goodness, we get impatient. We say, Lord, hurry up. Uh, you're not doing it fast enough. And yet, God is always right on time, and he's working his perfect will. And so uh, here, I, I think there's three important things we find in, in these 11 verses. And the first is this, that we find a glimpse of majesty. Understand what a, a marvelous and wonderful place heaven is. And, and though uh, John tries to give us a glimpse of what it might be, it pales into what it really is. Because words couldn't tell what heaven is really like. We wonder and we, we think we know, but the reality is until we get there, we really don't know and can't really understand how marvelous it is and, and how uh, beautiful it is. And so John is caught up and he, he goes to the, to the throne room in heaven and there he sees Jesus sitting on the throne. He sees 24 other thrones around that throne. By the way, most commentators agree that those 24 uh, thrones represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. Uh, collectively, they represent the people of God. Uh, the, the Bible teaches that, you know, that there's not you know, two different heavens, one for Jews and one for Christians, and uh, there's one people of God. Uh, you know, in, in that people of God, there will be uh, Jewish believers, there will be Gentile believers, but there have always been one family of God. And so John reminds us of that, and so uh, they're sitting here on, on this throne, reigning. these uh, stones and the, the crystal and the gold and rainbows shining. We mustn't lose sight of the fact that God is the one who is worthy of our worship and God is the one who's on the throne. Mankind throughout history, in fact, from the very beginning, people, mankind, have been trying to unseat God from his throne. And guess what? It hadn't worked. God is still on the throne, and he will always be on the throne. And so there's these creatures there, as well as the other 24 thrones and the, the seven spirits and... Uh, they're crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That should call our attention back to Isaiah chapter 6 when the seraphim, when Isaiah had a vision of the Lord. The angels were proclaiming that same message. It reminds us that God is always there. And that he is majestic. He is the one that rules and has authority. We as human beings like to think we're the ones that are the makers of our own destiny. And I guess to a certain extent we are. 
But ultimately, it's God that controls this world. It's ultimately God that gives us life. And it's ultimately God that helps sustain our life. Though he may use people to do it, it's ultimately him that deserves and should get the credit. And so there's not only these shiny things and these people and the crowns worshiping uh, God, but it all comes down to the glory of God. And in fact, that's what the church is to be about. The church is to be proclaiming the message that these angels were proclaiming. That God is holy and he is almighty and he is forevermore. He is the one who alone is worthy of our worship. And so John gets a glimpse of what the majesty of God looks like and what heaven is all about and what a, what a wonderful and marvelous thing that is. And we also find not only the, the wonder and the marvel of the majesty of God, but secondly, we find a reminder of God's promises. It's interesting that uh, when God gave the instructions for the high priest's breastplate, it had 12 stones on it, and two of those stones were jasper and carnelian, uh, the two stones that are mentioned here. And the reason those stones were there is because they're reflective. And they show God's glory. He uses you know, this imagery to describe what he saw. When Isaiah prophesied that he would rebuild Jerusalem, he said in Isaiah 54, 12, that it, he would build its buttresses with jasper. The city would show the glory of God. There's also a connection between Carnelian and Jasper in the Garden of Eden. So the garden reflected God's glory as well. The New Jerusalem at the end of the book of Revelation reflects God's glory. We think about this rainbow that they saw. Where was the rainbow found in the Old Testament? You remember God gave the rainbow as a sign and a, a covenant to Noah that he would never again destroy the earth by flood. Though certain groups in our culture and society today have kind of uh, adopted or you know, uh, usurped that uh, symbol, it's a symbol of God's love and God's presence and God's glory. And so he saw this rainbow that reminded him that God was there. And so we find over and over and over again a reminder to the church that's being persecuted, God is faithful to his promises. When God makes a promise, you can keep it. He, he reminds us that he's always there around us. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it. Sometimes it seems, you know, and we ask, God, where on earth are you? My world is in such a mess, and 
I don't feel you and, you know, I'm not seeing you like I think I should. Where on earth are you? And at times all of us have asked ourselves that very question. And yet God was right there with us. John reminds us here in Revelation that God is worthy. That he was involved in creating creating he said in verse 11 you've created all things and by your hand all things were created and all things continue to exist in other words we find the reminders throughout the scriptures that God is always with his people that he will not leave us and he will not forsake us and when God makes a promise you can take it to the bank Way back in Genesis, uh, chapter 3, you remember God made a promise to the people. We see the first glimpse and the hope of the gospel way back in Genesis 3.16 of what would ultimately be accomplished in John 3.16. Remember, God says as he curses the serpent, you will bite at man's heel, but the sun will stomp your head. Well, a bite to the heel is painful, but a stomp to the head is fatal. And so God pronounces, even from the very beginning when man rebelled against him, that he would work to draw them back to him, that he would be working to set things right again. And that's exactly what the Bible is. It's the unfolding story of God working to bring people back to him to restore that relationship that was broken because of sin. And so we have to be reminded constantly that God is always with us. That we see the the reminders and the images from Ezekiel in these crazy four creatures that were very similar to creatures from Ezekiel. In Isaiah, and to, to remind, and you know, the, the lion, the king of, of creatures, uh, symbolizing royalty, and a calf or ox, depending on your translation, as a servant. And that's how Jesus, remember, referred to himself as a servant to all. And as a man, to, to remind us that God is working and God would become a human being and he would live a sinless and perfect life and then lay his life down and shed his innocent blood to pay for our guilty blood and then he mentioned an eagle you know when you think about eagles if you've ever seen an eagle they are majestic beautiful creatures and my goodness when they put their wings out they have an amazing wingspan. They're big birds. But their wingspan defies how really small they are. Even They're kind of big, but their wingspan is humongous. And they're powerful flyers. And they soar. The Old Testament loves to use the imagery of eagles in relation to God's people and reminds us in Isaiah that those that mount up uh, 
that depend on the Lord, they will mount up like eagles and renew their strength. So God reminds us over and over and over again of his promises. The people who John wrote to were going through great tribulation and difficulty. And yet God reminds them, I'm faithful. And regardless of what else goes on in the world, I'm the one that's on the throne. But notice also, you think back to the seven churches that we just spent a month and a half or so looking at. One of those promises that you know, Jesus said that you know, he who overcomes will reign with me. He said, though, he said to one of the other churches, you'll have a crown, you'll, you'll be dressed in white robes. And now we find those images here in this next chapter of Revelation. A reminder to us that God keeps his promises. And then the last thing that we find in this chapter is a declaration of worship. So we don't only see God's majesty and we don't only get a reminder that God keeps his promises, but we find a declaration of worship. Because the, the son sitting on this throne is there and everything else that's going around is centered around him. And everything else is declaring God's glory and God's majesty. A reminder to that there are a lot of things in this world that cry out for our worship. Government oftentimes cries out for its people's worship and blind obedience. Stuff often calls out for our worship hungering and thirsting after things and stuff. Every human being is created to worship. And the reality is even atheists worship something. Every human being worships something. Because we were creatures that were made to worship. But there's only one thing that really is worthy of our worship. And it is God Almighty. God as he sits on this throne and the angels and the messengers and the church, the apostles the uh, 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 12 tribes of Israel fall down and worship God they say you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power The angels, remember, are worshiping and declaring the holiness of God. And John says that every time that those creatures and angels would cry out with this message, this refrain or doxology, you might even say, the people, the living creatures would, the people would bow down. Those that were on the thrones, the 24 thrones, would, would bow down. 
and they would cast their thrones, their crowns rather, before the throne. And they would cry out, you are worthy, O Lord. You see, the people understood something about God that the angels couldn't. Because the people had been redeemed. They they knew that they were not worthy to be on the seats that they were on. And they understood the only reason they were on those seats was because of the work of God Almighty. And ultimately the work of the person of Jesus Christ. And so they cried out, you alone are worthy, O Lord. For you created all things. And by you, all things exist and were created. In other words, you brought everything into being and you're keeping everything being. They recognized that God was almighty. And they recognized that only God was the one that could bring redemption. Only God could give them new life. Only God could make them worthy to sit on a throne in the most beautiful palace that's ever been laid eyes on by humans. They understood. And you see, we have to remember who we are. And we have to remember our frailties and our failings, but not dwell on them in defeat. But to remember they were conquered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that maybe you were a liar or a thief or an adulterer or whatever you fill in the blank. But when Jesus' blood is applied to your life, you're that no more. You're a child of the king. Sin no longer, Scripture said, Paul said, listen, Scripture no longer has dominion over you. It no longer has the authority over your life. Because if you don't have the authority over your life and stuff doesn't have the authority over your life, that means God has the authority over you. And that's who needs to have the authority in your life is the Almighty. And so God reveals himself and and God does redeem and John reminds us the only proper response to redemption is worship. Here's the thing, we can't be good enough and we can't earn it. But the thing is we don't have to. God gives it to us as a gift. But Scripture declares, throughout Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament says that when God's people experience God, the natural response to it is worship. Remember in the Old Testament, we find King David having been touched by God and God working in his life, and he's so overjoyed to be able to come into God's presence He dances naked out in the street and and is chided for it. And, uh, you know, people, when even when uh, God deals with the nation of Israel and they are delivered, what's their response? They worship God, at least for a little while. The Bible over and over again declares to us the proper response to redemption is worship. 
You see, the angels could declare God's holiness, but they didn't know God's redemption. So there was a song that only the redeemed can sing because it's only the redeemed that know how unworthy they are, and yet Jesus deemed them worthy to give his life for. And so we as God's people must constantly remind ourselves it's God that's in control. And God has made some promises to me and he's not going to break those promises. And my natural response to the re- being part of the redeemed of God is to worship the Almighty. And so that's why we keep our, we're mindful that on our, in our own devices and in our own strength, we're nothing. Paul said it this way. He says, I count all my accomplishments, all those things that I've worked for, as dumb, as garbage. The only thing that has any value and importance is that Jesus Christ saved my soul, and I am his child. And this was a man that had done great things and was very smart, and was a leader, uh, a religious leader in time, and that God spoke to and called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, a, a missionary, and he became one of the great church planners. And yet he said, near the end of his life, you know, all the things that I've accomplished are nothing without Christ. And so God works in us and through us to remind us that this world is not our final destination. We were not created for this world. We were created for another. We were created for eternity. And one day we will stand in before this throne that John saw and we'll see as John saw and we'll worship as the people there worshiped, crying out to God, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. And I do think that will be our, our cry in heaven. We'll, those crowns that we earn by the good we do in this life. This verse is one of the verses, one of the times Revelation talks about us putting the throne, the, thr- the crowns, before the throne. We don't keep them and don't wear them around like, you know, loyalty, but rather we take those crowns and we put them at the throne of Jesus. But here's the thing. I think that God intends for us not just to understand that we're to do that when we get to heaven and how we'll spend eternity, but I believe that God intends for us to realize and understand there's at least a degree that we should be doing that here and now. And we need to recognize and understand the only reason we are what we are and the only reason we have what we have is the grace of God and the redeeming power of God working in our lives. We should never take that for granted. And we must never get discouraged to the point where we're ready to give up and jump ship John reminds us that, yes, as you walk with the chi- as a child of God in this evil world, 
there's going to be difficult days. And you're going to feel like giving up. And that's why Jesus said over and over and over again to those seven churches, he that overcomes. In other words, he, him that endures, the one that endures is the one that receives the prize. And so I hope God will help us and encourage us with the message to hang in and be faithful to the Lord and remember that he alone is worthy of our worship. And if we've been redeemed, we have no choice but to worship. Those that, that claim to be God's child and yet never worship God, never live for him, have not been really redeemed. Because those that have been redeemed worship God. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the practice of the heathen. a reminder to us that we need the body of Christ and we need the spirit of Christ living in us to make it through this world. We can't do it alone. So I hope we'll be encouraged by that as John uh, was certainly encouraged uh, as he saw that message. And so next week we'll look at uh, John continues and he looks and focuses on that wounded lamb of Jesus that's sitting on the throne and what he did. So that's what we'll talk about next week. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed uh, for Sunday school. Remember, everybody's meeting in uh, the ladies' Sunday school room uh, this morning. And uh, Seth will be talking about apologetics uh, over the next several weeks with us. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. So Brother George, dismiss us in prayer, please.